welcome to my back 40. Currently, my back 40 is my bike shop, my podcast studio, music zone, man slash family cave. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I welcome you to uh, my new podcast. This is my first episode of the my back 40 podcast and I'm super excited. Um, those of you, uh, may or may not know, uh, I was the host of the Bike Pack Canada podcast, and I certainly hope to do some more of that uh, in the future. Um, I've been getting a lot of uh, questions about kind of what's going on. Are you still doing the Bike Pack Canada podcast? And, um, you know, I decided that uh, I wanted to kind of take the leap, as it were. So um, I actually did a blog blog post today about it. And if you guys don't mind, I'm just going to read it. Um, Yeah, I'm just going to read it taking the leap. Change is hard, but taking a leap is scary. I've been engaged on social networking a number of times, wondering what's going on with the new site and podcast and what this means for Bikepack Canada. My relationship with Sarah and Bikepack Canada is all good. For years, I've wanted to start a website or blog or podcast, but there was always an excuse. No time, no money, nothing of value to share. Fast forward to January 2019, the year things needed to change. It's easy to make a resolution when you're half in the tank at a New Year's Eve party, but my epiphany came at a time in my life when I needed more. I realized that I wanted to do something meaningful for me. Family life brings meaning, although it can be hard to see that when you're in the trenches elbows deep in dirty diapers. My meaning had to come from my intrinsic passion of cycling, connection, and creativity. That was the time I reached out to Sarah and volunteered to produce the Bike Pack Canada podcast and carry on Ryan Corey's legacy. Since that time, I've had the privilege of speaking with people from all different walks of life and athletic backgrounds. It truly has been a life-altering project and has been an invaluable learning tool, teaching me to be a better listener and conversationalist, forcing me to look closer at how I balance one's life between work, family, play. But I think the greatest thing I've taken away from my time as host of the Bike Pack Canada podcast is connection. The camaraderie in the bikepacking community has made me feel more connected to people than at any other point in my life. This tribe of athletes gives me such a boost whenever I'm having a conversation, competing in one of the amazing endurance events, or attending the summit. I will always be grateful for the opportunity I was given to produce the Bike Pack Canada podcast, allowing me to hone my craft and connect with all of you. My hope is that I will be able to produce more content for Bike Pack Canada, but for now, I will focus on my back 40 by continuing to create content, have conversations, and connect athletes from all over the world. I am taking the leap, but to be honest, it's not so scary when your tribe is behind you. Thanks in advance for your support. So yeah, that's really all I really wanted to say. Um, And uh, what better way to begin the first of many podcasts than to have a conversation with Sofian Saili. He's the winner of the inaugural Atlas Mountain Race, which took place in Morocco on February 15th, 2020. The race, which starts in Marrakesh, would take riders 1,148 kilometers through the Atlas Mountains to finish in Agadir. Sofian finished the arduous track in three days, 21 hours, and 50 minutes adding to his other two wins on the Italy Divide and Inca Divide in 2019. 
I've had the pleasure of chatting with Sofiane before, and this round of conversation did not disappoint. So I hope you enjoy this chat. And now I bring you Sofiane Sayili. Hey, Sofiane, how's it going? Hey, how's it going, man? Really good. Good to see you again. Pretty yeah, good. Yeah, good to see you too. Um, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Awesome. Yeah. I um, I got home about a couple of days after the finish. Yeah. And um, went to went to ride on the weekend and uh, just got a, back from uh, from that ride. Just a little ride. Hey. On, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you want me to put some headphones with a microphone? Maybe it would be better. Or is it okay like that? It sounds pretty good. You can try if you want, but it sounds pretty good. I've got these because I can monitor the audio that I'm recording. So yeah, whatever you're right, comfortable right, with. Just, just... Okay, I'm 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 good like this. Okay. Well, I mean, if it's good, it's good for you. It's good for me. Yeah, for sure. Um. So, well, I haven't said it. Congratulations! What a, what a crazy ride! And I couldn't believe. Thank you, man. I couldn't. You're welcome. I couldn't believe the the coverage that they had this year. Like on this yeah. race, it was bananas. It was like. Yeah. Yeah, it was super pro. So to be able to to follow the athletes along their journey was was just amazing. Um, did you find that? Uh, yeah, Nelson does a really good job with the media and, and the and the cars and the movies and the, and the, all the pictures. He's uh he's top notch when it comes to organizing the race. Yeah, that's amazing. So uh, so tell let's tell us about it. Like, uh, what was that journey like? Like, um, obviously, have you ridden in Morocco before? No, that was my first time actually. I mean, I went to Morocco when I was a little kid with my parents, just uh, just a vacation on the on the shore. Uh, but haven't been to Morocco in probably twenty years, and uh, yeah, it was my definitely my first time riding in Morocco, and even my first time riding in Africa. Yeah. So that was uh, that was a couple of firsts. Um, the terrain looked pretty gnarly. What, did you find that intimidating was, in any way? Yeah, like exactly. the, uh, it just looks so stark and dry and. Yeah. The, the terrain is pretty early. I mean, I mean, when you, when you talk gravel races, gravel grinding in, uh, in the, in the States, I mean, in the States you have so many smooth gravel roads pretty much all over the place where you, you, you can just, you can just ride on 35 C's, 40 C's, whatever. And, and just, just smooth and fast rolling. And just uh, just some good fun, but when you start going to going places like um, Colombia, Peru, Morocco, these these places that are still developing, the the gravel roads there, man, they, it's, it's just a, it's a completely different game. I mean, some of these roads were barely used. Some of these roads were built like decades ago, and some of these trails were just mule tracks you know right. and some of these were just not even trails i guess i mean sometimes i, I had i mean navigating at night was really really hard on some some of these really really sh- shallow trails you know that you can i mean you could maybe see them uh in the daylight but at night it was just so easy to get lost you couldn't see anything it looked like pretty much all of the all of the ground was the same and that Sometimes you would focus, you would stop, and you would have a uh, uh, during the night a beam of light, and you would look at the trail, and you would, and you would notice that maybe there was, you know, a few rocks less on a on a stretch that was maybe I don't know twenty or thirty meters wide, and that was the trail, and it's really hard to navigate that kind of trail at dark in the dark. 
So when you when you flick your GPS on, did you ever were you wandering? Did you find you were wandering off track quite often? Yeah, you you would have to. I mean, I I, uh, I definitely needed to have my 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 zoom level on the GPS to be you know pretty pretty close, like twenty meters, and try and try not to wander far off the track. I mean, what was great about the the GPX file that Nelson provided is that they were very accurate. Mm. So um, even when you couldn't really see the trail, you just, all you had to do was just to make sure that you were on that line. You would just look at your GPS and not even look at what was in front of you, but stay on that line. Right. And sometimes the, you would you would be like, okay, I'm not sure I'm on, the, I'm, I'm on any kind of trail right now. If I look at my, uh, if I look at the ground, but then at some point, by just staying on the line, you would find that, yeah, at some point it was it was a trail. I guess that's why they call it living on the line, right? <laughs> yeah. Even more so in that case. That's crazy. So tell me about the rig you chose. You uh, Obviously, you went for a flat bar kind of mountain bike setup for that? Yeah, it's, it's the setup that I'm used to. And um, it's a setup that worked well last season. It's the setup that I used... Um, on the Etable Divide first, then on the Tour Divide, obviously, and, and on, in the Inca Divide. And it's a setup that I like. Uh, I like the flat bar for the, for the technical sense. I like the arrow bars just to, when, whenever there's some flat stretches, there's, there's very, very few flat stretches in the Atlas Mountain Race. Um, but, yeah, when you get those, those long flat stretches, for example, on the Tour Divide or, or even in the, in the Inca Divide, uh, there was a few flat stretches. It's nice just to rest, just to, to have another position uh, for your hands, especially for your hands, but also for your back, just to be to be able to be in these arrow bars. Uh, big tires, obviously. I mean, I people know that I spend a lot of time on the saddle. I might not not be the fastest, but I'm the guy that spent uh, the most time on the saddle, definitely. So I need the comfort. I need the comfort of the big tires. So I had two two fives. Um, same tires that I had in Italy. I had different tires in in um, in um, the, on the Tour Divide and in Peru. I had uh, mescals, which were uh, a bit uh, a bit tougher than the racing routes that I had in uh, in Italy on uh, in Morocco. But anyway, still big wide tires. Tried to take some of the some of the of the you know roughness of these uh, bumpy roads. But uh, I have to say that um, the Atlas was really rough, really bumpy, really rocky. And I think that uh, the right rig would actually be uh, with the front suspension. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't need, you don't need full suspension, but uh, uh, suspension for 100 millimeters of travel, that would have been really nice. Just take the edge uh, off. Hey? I don't think... Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't even think that you would need uh, arrow bars because I, I found myself using them almost uh, never. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, definitely the, um, the suspension for it, it would have been nice. And uh, and when you think about it, I mean, you you uh, the weight that you that you gain by uh, that you save. By removing the the arrow bars, then you're you're all set to have just suspension fork, add more comfort, and and that would be I think hardtail suspension fork, big tires, 
uh, the perfect rig for for uh, the Atlas Mountain Race. Were a lot of the folks at the pointy end of the stick like you running fatter tires? Like, were there people running really skinny tires that were just hating it? I think JP was running uh, 50Cs. Um, JP uh, was on a gravel bike with drop bars, uh, gravel bike from Rodeo Labs, I guess. And uh, I'm not sure about the size of his tires, but definitely way skinnier than what I had and what and, and that James had as well. Um, Adrian uh, Lichty, who finished fifth, was on a mountain bike as well. He had he had big tires. He, he had uh, I think what was the right tool for the job. I mean, JP JP obviously one of the toughest guys out there. He, he was able to just. Uh, just you know do do what he does best which which means uh toughen it out and and and, and go with his uh, gravel bike and skinny tires on these really really bumpy trails but yeah he, he, i think he posted on, on on instagram afterwards that um a probably a different bike would have been better right um leading up to the race what kind of what kind of training do, do you do for that obviously you're a you're a messenger um, people who've listened to the last podcast you and I did, we talked a little bit about that. But does that kind of give you enough training base to to do these events? That is a fairly good training. That is uh, intensity training that's similar to interval training. Uh, I do also ride my bike a lot on the weekends, especially in the, this winter leading to the Atlas Mountain Race. Um, I, I, I would work four to five five days a week, and then I would go. I would go and ride sometimes, I mean, during all the weekend, just 200 Ks on the Saturday and then 200 Ks on the Sunday and did a, did a bunch of big rides. Then took some time of work to go visit a friend in Switzerland. And um, yeah, I did like 400 K just to get, no, 500 just, just to get there. 550 actually over three days and cycled around a bit Switzerland. Uh, doing a, a, a lot of climbing, some really hot passes. Uh, Gordon Eagle, if, uh, if there's some uh, Swiss, uh, Swiss uh, people listening, that was a, that is a really nice climb, but fairly hard. Um, and trained a little bit, the climbing, and then went back to went back to France and did one big ride that was above 300 k's. Um, and try to do that as fast as possible. But the, the goal was also to do it not with fresh legs, but do it uh, with a bit of fatigue. Mm. So the fatigue of all, all the all the previous riding that, that I had done just to go back, just to go to Switzerland and riding there and then starting to, to go back to France. And yeah, the, the, the goal was to see how my body was reacting on, on fatigued legs and uh, what kind of, uh, of, uh, of power and speed I could hope for after uh, several days of riding my bike over a really long, more than 300Ks uh, distance. Wow, a lot of miles. Um, just to go back a little bit, I was reading your feed this morning and I read some, you got doored while you were working? Yeah, I did. Um, it was, uh, I think it was the beginning of the fall or no, end of the fall, beginning of the winter. And that's the kind of stuff that happens when you, I mean, <laughs> When you when you bike in a city, the kind of stuff that happens. Uh, um, it was actually my first time. Oh, really? I had never, ne yeah, I've never been oh. bored before, 
and it's bound to happen. I mean, it's, it's sad that it is bound to happen, but at some point, if you write enough in a city, it will happen to you. I was lucky enough that I, uh, um, my bike was okay and I was okay, no, no injuries at all. And I was also lucky enough that I completely destroyed the door of that car. <laughs> well, <laughs> they had it coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because what happened is like, so I get doored. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a sh- uh, in a shock. I get, I get back on my feet, and I'm like, why? Why would you open your door in, in, in the traffic like that? And the, and the woman was like, but you, you were riding so fast. Which, well, that's that's I, what I do. I <laughs> Yeah, I ran as fast as I damn pleased. I mean, there's, there's no way you can you can put any blame on me. And there's no, there's, I mean, the speed limit is 50 kph, and I was definitely not over 50 kph. So I was I was definitely doing whatever I wanted to do. And yeah, she she really pissed me off by not recognizing that she was in the wrong, like hundred percent. And yeah, I was pretty happy that I ended up with nothing, and she ended up with a door that wouldn't close anymore yeah man that's like one of those things that can just change your your career or your 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 riding life right like that could have gone really bad yeah a buddy of mine buddy of mine that that actually raced uh trans am and raced uh in the pack as well his name is uh david robinson got doored uh in um in portland oregon where he lives and man just ended up with a bad injury bad knee injury had to get surgery i mean these these accidents they can they can put you on the sideline for a long time yeah yeah it, it, that would be horrible yeah. like yeah hitting a car or hitting a door especially the edge like shit like yeah. it would just take you out so fast all right i just want i read that this morning i was like ah damn that could have just <laughs> taken the atlas mountain race right out of your uh right off the calendar right um tell me about resupply on that on that uh track so between resupply points was there much of anything going on like uh sorry when i say uh, i meant checkpoints so between the checkpoints yeah. were there a lot of resupply options between checkpoints or were you pretty much relying on those spots to get food and water resupply was fairly tricky um definitely there was no water outside of the of the towns you can you can find any streams or river that you could drink from like for example when you're riding tour divide or in montana you're in canada there's always a bunch of streams that you could either treat it or not, depending on if you have a good stomach or not. But yeah, in the desert, other than the Atlas of Morocco, I think it's really dry. You can't find a stream to save your life. So you have to rely on these small villages, small pockets of population. And there's not a lot out there. Sometimes you would go 100K between two villages to two resupplies. And it maybe doesn't sound like a lot, Going is fairly slow on the Atlas Mountain Race, so 100 came in anywhere from from six to eight hours. So that six to eight hours, you have to be able to carry enough water to last for six or eight hours, and it's and it's it's pretty hot. I mean, it's still winter there, but temperature were anywhere between 25 and uh, um, and 30 degrees Celsius. So. You have to you have to strategize your resupply, especially for water. And then the problem I found was that once you get to a small village, there's usually uh, just uh, one tiny shop, and there's you know not much there. It was the it was challenging for me to find some uh, salty food. I mean, there was a lot of sweet snacks, 
sweet snacks were definitely not a problem, but you can't just run on sweet snacks. I need some, I need some salt. And, um, I, uh, had, yeah, definitely had trouble finding, finding the right food, finding the food that I wanted to eat. And, um, I ended up, uh, finding some, uh, sort of cream cheese that I would eat, that I would, uh, I would eat a lot. If I could find some bread and some cream cheese, then I would be fine. Cause, uh, it would, it would be some, uh, some nice fuel it would be something that I would, I would be willing to eat. Whereas all the, all the sweet stuff at some point, I'm just, I just get tired of it. Yeah, I haven't ridden bikes in Morocco, but I've I've been to Morocco before, and I just remember you go into a shop and you're like, I don't know what any of this stuff is, and it is a lot of sweet stuff, you know, a lot of a lot of Fanta, yeah. a lot of Fanta, a lot of candy, probably yeah. There's not not many options. I mean, as as people may know, on on races, I really avoid to just sit down for meals because mm. I just don't have time. I I try to stop um, as least as possible. So sometimes you may you may be at the checkpoints. I think you could find some food, like you you could sit down and have an omelet and stuff like that, omelet, some bread. But you have to understand that Morocco things uh, go pretty slow. Uh, I noticed that when I was in Marrakesh, Marrakesh, even being a big city. Uh, just to give you an example, there was a bunch of riders. We we had like an hour before the the race briefing mandatory briefing uh we went to a place we went to a restaurant some guys ordered pizza i ordered i was with uh dylan morton with, who's a trend uh tour veteran we ordered couscous and we almost missed the briefing we had an hour when we got to that restaurant but we ended up just shoveling the couscous in our <laughs> mouth in five minutes because it took almost an hour just to just to get some food, and the guys who, who ordered pizzas had to take them away. Actually, so things go pretty slowly there. The people are not in a rush. That's a cultural thing that you have to understand. It was the same in Peru, and you have to you have to deal with it, and you have to know that if you get some place, and if you want some uh, some food and you want it fast. You shouldn't order something that uh, is going to need cooking. Right. So I, I absolutely avoided. I mean, at some point I went, I was in a checkpoint three. I had opened up quite a big gap and, and I asked if there was any, any food available. And the guy was like, yeah, maybe I could, I could make an omelet. And I was like, yeah, no, sorry. If it's not ready, I'm not going to wait for it. I'll, I'll, I'll find some food somewhere, uh, somewhere else and just cycle to the next town. Stopped there, got some bread, got some cheese, got some sweet snacks, and uh, then I was on my way. Might be risky, but you could just crack an egg in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty risky. Just put it. Let's get right to business. Let's put it right in there. <laughs> so you said yeah. your you said your secret is is staying in the saddle. And I remember last time we talked, and you know I'm I'm not nearly as experienced as you, but I do a couple races in the summer. And one of the things tips I took from you was that you you had yourself a rest budget. So for every hour yeah. of riding, you said you'd budget yourself five minutes uh, per hour, exactly. I think it was. You know what? And I use that. And it's fantastic because if you ride for four or five hours straight, you're like, man, I have a half, like almost a half an hour break coming up. And it gives you that time yeah. to kind of like rest. So I've used that. Is that, is that something you still adopt in your, uh, in your racing now? Um, I try to. It is, it is something that uh, is easier to implement on um, races like the Tour Divine 
because the the going is not as slow and the trail is not as demanding um but it's it's uh it's it's just tougher to you in races like the Atlas mountain race um you just ended up stopping more often just because the the, the trail beats you up all the time and and you, you have to take some breaks you can kind of like have to uh because it's just it's just too hard it's just too tough too demanding but obviously i, I still try to stop as little as possible um definitely on, on harder races and i mean by harder i mean where the terrain is more rugged uh i i do stop more often on, on the tour divide where um you, you can go faster and and the and the, and the trail are usually not in in bad shape but yeah it's just a matter of you know staying disciplined and uh i remember one climb in in uh in peru that was just horrendous it went on forever and and the trail was extremely rocky and, and in a bad shape and it i don't know I, I ended up stopping a lot just because at some point you get really really tired of, of doing that same thing for hours and hours which is climbing and 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 we're talking peru so the altitude was uh, anywhere between three thousand and 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 four thousand meters oh, so, so very little oxygen and there's not much you can do you're, you're already really slow and then the the trail slows you down even more and it's just hard to keep that discipline when it's just so hard to 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 ride and i find that it's, it's also one of the uh access where i can i can work on which is to i know that can be extremely disciplined um on easier trails and i maybe could work on being as disciplined on harder trails but yeah it's 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 definitely hard um do you spend a lot of time walking in morocco no not that much no i mean there were there were a few hiker bikes the first hiker bike was was on day one it was the downhill checkpoint one i think it was like an hour hike hiker bike and then um i also remember having to hike a bike the last night um where the the trail was really rough and and the, the gradient was uh pretty steep i also had to walk a lot during the last five or ten k because the trail was sandy mm. and it was dark and i just couldn't see any any lane that that would allow my bike just to just to roll so it was pretty frustrating to know that i was just 5k away from the finish <laughs> And having to walk that just, was that was that was terrible you just want to get a, a, a tagine right you just want to get her done and get some hot yeah food. <laughs> yeah you want to you want to you want to get it over with and and you, and you just can't like and I, and I was as i was uh making calculations going to the finish i was i think 20k away from the finish or 18k away from the finish and i was on a smooth uh paved road and i thought that i i, I kind of thought that that road would lead me all the way to the finish. I had no idea that at some point I would just get back on, on, on gravel and that gravel would turn to sand. And I was, I was kind of cranking it up on that, on that paved road. And I was trying starting to make calculations. I was like, okay, 18 K of pavement. I can maybe do it in 40, 40 or 45 minutes, which means that it will soon be over. And, and, I don't know how long it took me exactly, but probably double that, easily double that, because yeah, that it was just a tiny stretch of pavement, and then I ended up, yeah, pushing my bike in the sand. 
but all in all, there was there was not not that much of uh, of uh, hiking. Uh, I think definitely less than on the Italy Divide, and also less than. Uh, not that I have raced the Silk Road Mountain Race, but the Silk Road Mountain Race is, is famous for the hiker bikes, and um, yeah, definitely less here in Morocco. And walking in sand is so horrible too, right? Because it's like it you know, two steps forward, one step back, kind of or kind of thing. Like so taxing. Yeah. So do you do you think that you have a genetic propensity for not sleeping? Do you think that there's something in your your genetics that 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 allows you to to do that? I I haven't really asked myself that question, but if there were to be some tests, and um, they would find out that I have some kind of genetic disposition to not sleeping up i would not be surprised i definitely would not be surprised because i mean i only know what i do and what i can do and mm-hmm. i just know how, how hard it is for me or how, how easy it is for me and i can't be in, in in somebody else's body and 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 see how exactly they react to the, the lack of sleep i just see how how i react to the lack of sleep so i don't know yeah i mean it it could very well be that I have some kind of, of, of gift um, that I can go without sleep way longer than, than uh, regular people do. Yeah. So what was your, what was your total time? How many hours of, uh, of riding? I think it was two hours and 15 minutes. Oh, and then how much riding time was there? Uh, I think it, it, it took me 90, 94 hours to get from, uh, from the start to the finish and two hours and 15 minutes to sleep. That's crazy. What's do you have a strategy or do you just do it? You're just like oh, I'm just going to keep moving. My strategy is like I I definitely know that I'm not going to sleep the first night. Yeah. Uh it seems the 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 right thing to do because I know that even if I stop to sleep, I'm not going to get any sleep because mm. uh too too much adrenaline. So first night I knew I was I was going to go without sleep. Second night I knew I was going to try. I was not sure I was going to be able to do it. I've done it before several times, but it was the first time that I would have to do it uh, riding 12 hours of darkness. And uh, obviously, the darker it is for the, the longer period of time and the, the harder it is to fight sleepiness. But I found that the second night was definitely harder than the, than the first night, but I managed still to, to fight the sleepiness ahead. I felt really tired around 2 a.m., uh, I popped a uh, caffeine pill, 200, like 200 milligrams of caffeine. Um, did help me a little bit, helped me for a couple of hours, but around 4, 4.30 a.m. felt really tired again. And then I had to, to resort to other strategies to stay awake. Um, and uh, usually as soon as the, as the sun comes up, uh, the fatigue goes away, the sleepiness goes away. And um, when the when the when the sun during the day, especially it was extremely sunny in Morocco, uh, blue skies all the way. So with the sun out, I usually don't feel tired, don't feel sleepy. Then the third night was in. I had I had a nice gap. I knew I could stop to sleep a little bit, but the thing is always to try to experiment. You know, I could have stopped for probably I don't know two, three, four hours. Um, and be safe, but I, I really wanted to to keep experimenting and see what was possible. Like I knew that it would definitely be some of the of the tougher conditions with with 12 hours of, of darkness 
um, every night. And I wanted to see what was possible. I mean, it's really hard to experiment outside of the races. Um, so whenever I'm racing is the time where I can try and find out more about what I can do, what I can do better. Um, the strategies, like what's better? Is it to sleep 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes? Um, is it better to sleep 15 minutes twice or once? 30, 30 minutes. So it's things that I'm trying to figure out. And um, my strategy was definitely to just uh, stop when I couldn't keep going anymore. And that's what I did. So I, when I felt that I was too sleepy, I would stop, lay on the ground for 15 minutes, put a put an alarm, take out my phone, put an alarm, sleep for 15 minutes, and then, and then keep going. And then again, when I felt that I couldn't fight the sleepiness, I would just do the same. And I think the first night I ended up sleep. Yeah, the third night, which which was the first where I started sleeping, I ended up sleeping uh, uh, about an hour, maybe an hour and fifteen minutes. And then, uh, and then when you get to the last night, no matter the race, you can you kind of just want to get it over with, and you can push to the finish. And that's what I did. And I mean, I got some sleep because I needed it, and I just couldn't keep going uh, without falling asleep on my bike. So I stopped and I slept a little bit. But um, definitely the, the, the strategy for the last night is always to just keep going and, and, and get to that finish. And uh, you know that when, once you get to that finish, you get, you get a meal, you get a bed, you get a shower. And that, believe me, that motivates you to just, uh, just keep going and sleep as little as you can. Yeah, it's like the, ca the carrot, right? The dangled carrot. Yeah. It's like, here's the bed and here's some food. Um, yeah, I think it's hard to sleep too because you're, you're pushing your body into these weird states of biology that, you know, you're fighting your biology and then plus you're popping supplements. I was going to ask you what, if you're uh, popping like uh, caffeine or any other type of supplement, but you throw your adrenals out, of, out of order and then, yeah. yeah. What, what product do you use? Is it just like a generic, it's just, just regular, like from just the regular caffeine feels that, yeah, that's, it's, uh, helps a little bit, but it's definitely, doesn't work miracles it's not going to keep you awake for hours if you're if you're sleeping fries for a, a couple of days but yeah definitely can 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 help a little bit also you have to be i mean i'm i'm, I'm pretty careful with it um i'm not gonna gonna pop two or three pills at once um i just try to have a sensible uh use of of uh of these caffeine pills um i think 200 milligrams is uh is like probably a a, a big cup of coffee, uh, like a big Starbucks, Starbucks cup of coffee. And, um, so it wouldn't be dangerous to, to, I guess, to pop too, but just, you know, trying to be sensible about what I do. Um, and, and also trying to, uh, work, uh, uh, to be as smart as possible. I mean, if one pill of caffeine, 200 milligrams of caffeine has absolutely no effect on you. It just means that you need to sleep a little bit. It just means that you, you're going to need to, to sometimes it's just better to lie down for 15 minutes than just pop another pill and then another mm. pill. That's, that's definitely not the point. What's going on this summer. Last time we chatted, it was during the, uh, the armistice at Rush Mountain Lodge. You and I yeah. had a chat then. Um, are you planning on trying to tackle that one again? Um, if you would have asked me that question before the Atlas Mountain Race, 
I would have told you I have no idea. But now that the, the race is over, I find myself to be thinking more and more about that Tour Divide. Um, I think I need something big. I think after what happened on the on the Atlas, uh, uh, I have a lot of eyes on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I mean, already had a lot of eyes on me after 2019 Tour Divide. And um, yeah, I feel like I need I need to do something big and something big would be to go back and try and, and, and set that record again. So I'm not right now. I mean, it's just been a week since mm. uh, a bit more than a week, but it's been 10 days since the, the end of the Atlas mountain race. So it's, it's definitely too early to make any final decisions, but it is, it is, there's a good possibility that I will go back to Banff in June and, uh, and try it again. Yeah. It's calling you. It's calling you back. Yeah, it is. I mean, I mean, I, I was, I was doubtful during the winter, um, mainly because what I do with bicycles, it's not only racing. I mean, it, it is racing, but for example, why did I go to Morocco? Why did I, I went to Morocco because it was a race for sure, because I knew that, uh, the top guys would be there and it's always interesting to race the top guys. But also I signed up for this race because I had never been there. And I was like, pretty cool. It's, it's a new country that I get to discover. So I was, I was doubtful during the winter because I was like, yeah, Tour Divide, been there uh, three times now. Do I want to go again? Or maybe I could do something else with my summer and, 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 and go places I haven't ever been before. But, um, yeah, I, I think that, that it's like you said, it's calling me back. It's calling me back because I can, I can, uh, I can go different places, uh, during the spring. I can go different places, uh, during the, the fall, the winter, whatever. Yeah, it's, that, it's only that, a couple of weeks, right? Sort of <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, can, I can just take a couple of weeks and, and get there and, uh, and try it, you know, try and set that record. That would be nice. It'd be great to see you out here again. And also, uh, sorry for, uh, yeah, oh. also, I mean, uh, with with what I did on the, on the Atlas Mountain Race and, and you experimenting with sleep a little, uh, a little bit more, I, I'm, you know, trying to think of a, a, of a maybe a different strategy for, for the Tour de Vines, you know, trying, I'm thinking of this a lot. And, and I'm curious to see, like, what could I do now with um, knowing the few mistakes that I made in 2019 on the Tour Divide. And, and just uh, I'm curious just to go back and, and readjust a little bit some of the stuff that, that I did and, and trying to see if, uh, if strategy-wise and, and especially sleep strategy-wise, uh, some things would work better for me. And, yeah, it's, a, it's questions that... that, that you know, popped up in my head and they stay in my head and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I could do this and this, or maybe I could change, change that. And then I would be faster. And then uh, I could, I could, you know, shave off a little bit of time here and a little bit of time that time there. And, uh, and then I just get curious. I'm like, yeah, I, I, eager to do it, eager to go back and see if, if what I think is, is, is possible. If I, if what I think I can improve, I can actually do it, actually improve it. Now, other than um, Mother Nature throwing a wrench in that 
in that uh, that attempt. Um, you said mistakes. What mistakes did you did you think he made? Um, I don't really. I mean, my strength. Um, pretty much everybody knows knows it now. Is that I can go a long time without sleep. My weakness is that I don't really rest when mm. I'm uh, outside. If I stop for four hours uh, on on the roadside, uh, under the stars, and I get in my sleeping bag, I'm not. I'm just. I'm just not gonna really rest. You know, I'm just going probably gonna sleep half the time. So, I think maybe I could, you know, cut cut shorts, cut short these uh, these stops, um, and and you know have a strategy where when I'm uh, when I'm outside, when there's no hotel around, I could I would just stop for a shorter time, and then as soon as I get the the chance to get to a hotel, I could you know slip a little bit more and 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 just uh, rest more, and uh, and that's something that I'm I'm starting to think about, you know. Yeah, I think there is a bit of a de- just, uh, debate around whether you know even if you were to sleep or try to sleep four hours a night over the course of a of a fourteen day race, whether that would increase your performance over or increase your lead and performance over uh, not sleeping at all, you know, cause it must be accumulative, accumulative over time. Like as the longer you go without sleep, I imagine your performance would begin to suffer over, over a race as long as, as the tour divide. So it's, it's interesting. It's interesting self self experiment to, 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 to look at. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, I think when I started racing, I started looking at what other people do because hmm. basically I think when you, when you get into a sport that that's what you do, like, okay, what, what do my opponents do? How do they, what's their strategy? And you find out that, uh, most, most people stop. I mean, I'm, I'm talking top guys. Um, most people, they stop for four hours every night and that's what I started doing because everybody was doing it. But I think that at some point you have to find your own way. Mm-hmm. You have to find what works for you. And and I don't think that when I do not sleep, I'm uh, way slower than when I sleep for four hours. I, I feel, I mean, I did the Trans Am stopping every night for four hours and I didn't feel I was really fast, you know? And um, I'm thinking, I mean, I don't have numbers to prove it, but I'm thinking that by not sleeping, I'm I either as fast as when I sleep four hours, or maybe a bit slower. But I don't think there's a, a dramatic uh, decrease in my speed when I do not sleep, or when I sleep an hour, or or just do power naps. So, so again, to each his own, and you have to find your own way in this uh, in this sport and what works for you. And and I think also. Uh, one of the one of the uh, more difficult aspect of not sleeping is is the focus, and that's something that you can actually work on. When you're extremely tired from not sleeping, it's just hard to keep that focus, the focus that that allows you to stay on the bike, that allows you to sleep to stop as little as possible. But you, it's something that you can actually work on. You you can just Tell yourself, all right, I know I'm extremely tired. I know I haven't slept in two days, but this is important. I mean, I, 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 like like you reminded me, you have that that 
you know, REST budget and I look at my I look at my GPS and I look at, at elapsed time and, and time in the saddle. And, and you have to keep looking at these numbers, even though you're extremely tired from the, from the sleep deprivation. And you have to be like, OK, I have to be effective no matter what. And, and that you get there by working on it. It's something that you can actually improve. When when I first started experimenting with sleep deprivation, I was I would lose my focus really easily. But now when I do it, I manage just to to stay focused and say, okay, I'm tired, sure, but it's not a reason to stop. I have to keep going. Well, it's kind of your job in a way. Like yeah. you're you're in an event. It's my job to get from point A to point B. And you need to manage, you need to manage so many things going across these tracks. Like, uh, it is, it's work. I've heard, maybe JP said it. It's like, wake, like get out there, do your work, get to the end. Like just, you know, keep moving forward. Yeah. It's interesting. I think, I think a lot of people, um, uh, go out with the the same thing. Like when I started experimenting with, with things, you, you go out and you see what other people do and it's like, well, you know, I think you just have to listen to your body. Like I, I feel the same way. Yeah. I'll lay down, and all I'm thinking about is, you know, oh, I only I only went this far today, and I was hoping to get there, and and it's kind of restless, and and you, you know, I, I'm I'm really no good in the woods either. I'm just I'm way too aware, so everything I hear wakes me up. So I start putting earplugs in just to get a couple hours sleep. I just I want to lay down for a couple hours. Like I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to be bugged and it's hard to turn off it's hard just to flip that switch right and and calm your body down and and just to actually get some rest and you wake up an hour before your alarm and you're like ah, i might as well just keep going i'm not i'm just laying here this is crazy i might as well just go <laughs> you know that's awesome um yeah it's true and and, and again um uh, to each his own i mean everybody's different if you look at josh cato he, he rarely stops in a hotel he He's very consistent, gets far over sleep every night, and he manages to get some really good rest just by being in his in his bivy and his in his sleeping bag, and 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 that's great, and that works for him. And uh, but you have to know what works for you and what does not. And um, when something doesn't work for you, then you have to find your own way. And that's what that's what I try to do actually. Yeah, that's good advice. And for example, when I was racing the Incadivide. Uh, I think it was the the third night. So I went for sleepless for the first night. Then the second night, I got two or three hours because I was not feeling too well. And then the third night, uh, I got to the checkpoint, and I was I think it was midnight, and I was I was full of energy, man. I was not willing to sleep at all, and I could have kept going without any trouble. I knew I would have I would have kept going all night without feeling sleep without feeling sleepy at all i was just full of energy i don't know why but but i was i was pumped up but i had to stop i had to stop because in front of me was a giant climb uh going up uh one of the highest paved paths in the world talking punta olympica which is 4800 meters and you just can't tackle that at night because if you start climbing at midnight, you're gonna get there at 4 a.m. and then you just got just gonna freeze to death just by going downhill. So I had to stop in that hotel. But I remember perfectly that it was the third night of the race, 
I had gotten two, three hours of sleep total. And I was, I was just pumped up, full of energy and ready to go. And that's the kind of thing that you have to listen to. I mean, I could not, not stop. So I stopped. But on, on another race, you have to, to, to be able to tell yourself, all right, my plan was to stop for four hours, but I just don't feel tired. I just don't need that routine. I'm just going to keep going because I have the energy. I have, I have the will to keep going. And when you have it, you might as well take advantage of it. Yeah, listen to your body, right? Exactly. That's that's the most important. I mean, you can't I force mean, it. Again, yeah. What what works for other might not work for you. Yeah. And that's why you have that's that's something that's really interesting about this sport and and that's also really hard is that you can't race that much because there's not that many events and also it's very taxing on the body. And so you you take just baby steps and knowing your body, knowing your strategy, and you can't replicate the the conditions of the race in training because nobody would be able to do that in training. No, nobody would be able to go 36, 48, 60 hours without sleep, without the, 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 the adrenaline of the race, you know? Right, I understand. It's just... Yeah, it's just impossible. I mean, when one training, I manage to go sleepless for one night, but then I just lose the motivation to keep to keep doing that again. I just go sleepless for one night, and then I just I just cut it short somewhere in the afternoon and get to a hotel, and by six six p.m. or maybe eight p.m. I'm in bed and I sleep twelve hours. And you just can't replicate the kind of will that you get by being in a competition, being by having opponents chasing you. You can't replicate that in training. And so you can only learn by competing and you can't compete. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not football. You, can, you I mean, I mean, soccer, you can't have a game every week. You're going to have two, maybe three races a year. And that's when you have to learn about what works for you and what does not. And that's why it takes a lot of time. And that's why I started doing this in 2016 and only last year that I started finding real success because it takes time to just know what you're capable of and, and, and where, where, where your advantage lies and um, what can make you stronger than the others. Yeah. It's like anything just time and experience, right? You just need to get out and do it and push limits and check boxes. That didn't work. Or that was a that was good. I should do that again. Or yeah, it's, 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 it's just a learning curve. And we're always it's learning. Just a learning curve. Yeah, yeah. always. JP will tell you that. I mean, JP's been doing this for I don't know how many years, 10, 15, I don't know. And he's always learning. He's always experimenting. He's always adding stuff to his kit, and and he's always trying to find out what he can do best. And even though he is the the, the most experienced experienced guy in this sport. Yeah, for sure. Biggest lesson learned on the Atlas Mountain Race? Wow, biggest lesson learned <laughs> on the Atlas Mountain Race. Uh, that's a good question. I would have to think about this. Uh, 
don't don't relax too much when you have five hours on James Hyden <laughs> because he can't catch you. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I had five hours and I finished with uh, uh, just a couple of hours. So, yeah, don't relax too much. Stay in the game, and, uh, maybe. That's a lesson learned, like stay in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, these tractors, they're, they're always, it's always tricky. I don't like these tractors because, I mean, when, when, when you look at them and someone someone is on your tail, I'm like, ah, that's not good. He's, he's riding faster than me, and, and then I'm, I'm stressed out. And and if I look at the tractor and and, and the guy's uh, 90k or 100k behind, I kind of I kind of relax too much. Mm. So these trackers are not good. I just I, I need to I need to focus on my own thing and, and and ride as fast as I can and do my best all the time, and and just not not. Uh, look too much at what the others are doing so yeah it's an interesting evolution of the sport because I, I think I, I listened to jp on um gear junkie and he was talking about man when i started doing these races you, di- you didn't have a cell phone you, you couldn't look at track leaders like it just you know you just got on your bike and you went as hard as you can but now you can look and and it's uh yeah it gives you a lot of insight into what's going on behind you or in front of you you could see like, oh, dude, that person laid down in sleep. I'm going to keep riding. I'm going to catch that guy or girl. Right. So it's, it's added a new, um, it's added a new element to the racing where you can just yeah. whip out your phone. It seemed like, was there service like all over Morocco? It seemed like you guys were posting oh, in the middle was, of the desert. That was, I couldn't believe it. It's crazy. I just couldn't believe it. You would be in a place that there was no people and you would, you would look at your phone and it would have coverage. <laughs> it's it, it was impressive. I don't. I mean, actually, I was really glad that I talked to to the taxi driver from the airport in Marrakesh because I got in that taxi and and, and I asked as many questions as possible in that short ride. And I was like, "What is the best provider?" And he was like, "If you're going to the mountains, you should go with uh, Morocco Telecoms." And I was like, "Okay, that's what I'm going to do." <laughs> I was I was a bit scared because while I was in Marrakesh I couldn't get any coverage. You know, I was like, there's no data. There. I was I was like, I hope this guy I hope this guy was not full of shit and it's, it's a good provider. And then I got into the Atlas and it was that was amazing. I had coverage. I had data. I had 4G pretty much everywhere, and that was that was just crazy. Yeah, because you're posting your line. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say yeah. you're posting these Lionel Richie uh, sing-alongs. I was like, "What's this guy? Where's the coverage?" Like, I, I couldn't believe it. But I was gonna ask yeah, you. Yeah, it was crazy, right? Yeah, it was. It was. It was just nuts. It's. It's funny. It's. I, I live. I live in the mountains here in Canada, and my coverage is horrible. If I go into my office, I barely get any coverage. It's crazy. And you're in the <laughs> desert, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. So my next question was going to be highs and lows. So obviously you posted a lot, which was which was just which just added to the the awesome coverage that they had for that race. But um, yeah, what were some of your highs? Some of my sorry, what? Some of your high points uh, riding that race. Like, what were kind of some of the the most memorable, positive high points of that race? Yeah, um, I would say that. Um, on the last day, I mean, the actual last day, uh, going out, I mean, one of the, my low points, I my lowest point was the, um, the third night where I hit the uh, Colonial Road. That was just that was just hell. I mean, we, we talk about that road with several riders and everybody hated it. And I did it at night, which was even worse. And um, on, on the race manual, 
actually uh, Nelson, the race organizer, uh, highlighted some of the really difficult parts. And he talked about that colonial road. And then he talked about um, uh, washed out riverbed, kind of sort of a canyon and saying that it was definitely one going to be one of the of the worst part of the race. And I was I was just terrified about that part because I had been through hell with the colonial road. And by the way that Nelson put it in the rest manual, the the canyon was supposed to be worse. And so I was I was really worried about that. And I did it. I got there at dawn and it was just beautiful. It was beautiful and it was really not that hard. Uh, the reason is that actually when he when he uh, uh, scouted the route, he did part of it on, on the bike, but then he had an, uh, an appendicitis and, uh, and that part in the canyon, he did it in the car. And so he could not really gauge how it would feel on the bike. And in the car, it seemed that it would be difficult, but it was really okay. I mean, compared to the Colonial Road, it was definitely, definitely not as hard. And it was, it was just doing that in, in the, in the, um, at dawn, with that with that that sun just coming up and uh and that canyon that that dry riverbed ah oh, that was that was that was beautiful man that was uh absolutely beautiful so one of the highlights was uh going down to cp2 uh usually actually i noticed that um the high points come after the really low points <laughs> and uh going to cp2 uh uh was was really really bumpy i mean it was again I, I got there in the morning uh i got there at noon actually but long night on the bike and then in the morning uh i had the, this really really bumpy downhill i mean suffered a lot going uphill and then the downhill was way worse just kind of you know uh get taking a beating and then destroying my hands and and then you, you you get to uh you get to a paved road which is always nice after these uh oh yeah these beatings that you take on the bumpy roads you get to the paved road and then you start uh a uh, descent to an oasis yeah i was gonna say and, it looked uh, beautiful at cp2 amazing oh yeah that was amazing that was and you you go from from i mean you would ride your bike in pretty barren landscape for a long time if people are familiar for example with the, the great wyoming basin it looks a lot like that i mean some of these some of these landscapes are just you know empty uh sage bush and, and and mountains or some of some of the others are just rocks you know black rocks and and it's uh it can be it is pretty desolate and it can be pretty hard just to to keep your morale in these places and then you you i mean i like trees and then you get to this oasis and it's lush and green and there's water and the road is paved and you know that you're gonna get to a checkpoint and that you're gonna get some food and uh, maybe some coffee and stuff like that. And yeah, that was that was really nice, definitely. Ah, anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, CP two that looked that looked pretty awesome. Um, do you want to thank anyone? I want to thank uh, Nelson Tree for organizing such a race and doing such a great job. Absolutely. Uh, just uh, you know, I mean, I went I went out there and did my thing and and got a lot of uh got a lot of support but you have to know that when you get a lot of coverage and a lot of support it's because the 
the race organizer does his job really well. Mm-hmm. And um, I also want to thank uh, the guys at Hunt, Hunt Bike Wheels. Um, I had some uh, hiccups with uh, getting my bike together and uh, for some reasons. And they were really responsive and they actually uh, overnighted a pair of wheels wow. that I could just get it like right before my flight. Awesome. And they were they're really really great guys. I'm really happy to to work with uh, such a company. Um, obviously, thinking of my my other sponsors like uh, Aptura, uh, great bags, great team always. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think I get uh, many people to thank because I did that thing pretty much by myself. <laughs> well, no, you know these uh, the logistics involved in even getting to these races can be difficult. And then when you have good companies backing you, right, who believe in you and get you what you need to yeah. race, I mean, that's super important. And especially in a in a fringe sport such as, uh, well, it's becoming less fringe, but still pretty fringe, fringe sport like bikepacking, um, bikepack endurance racing anyway. It's good to have the support. So that's awesome, man. It is, yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to me again. And uh, congratulations. Always a pleasure, Stephen. Yeah, it was really good to thanks. talk to you. Um, and... Yeah, I'm gonna keep an eye on you, and if you uh, if you're in Canada, maybe we can we can connect. All right, sure. I'll, I'll probably be in Banff in the, around the beginning of June, so you're around. Right on, dude. Well, enjoy the rest of your evening. Get some good yeah, sleep. You yeah, you too, man. Enjoy, your, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, awesome. Have a good one. Weekend. Thanks. Bye, right, man. Ciao. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation, and I want to thank Sofian again for his time. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. I don't know how many of you are actually out there at this point. Maybe six or seven. <laughs> I don't know. But man, uh, spread the word that uh, the My Back 40 podcast is awesome. So um, yeah, please share and distribute this to your friends. Tell them what you think. Uh, if and when it pops up on uh, in Apple Podcasts, uh, please give it a five-star rating and a review if you like this episode. And because uh, I want to keep going and growing, I really want to grow this. And uh, yeah, just, I can't, I'm just pumped. I don't know. I'm excited. So um, yeah, go to my website, uh, www.myback40.org. And uh, you can contact me there. There's an email address at the bottom of the homepage. And there's also a uh, some information about the RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening application. So please go ahead and do that. Uh, keep an eye on Apple uh, Podcasts. I'll put something out on social when it pops up so you guys can subscribe. Um, you can also stream it on the website. So head on over there and do that. And um, uh, again, I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank Rebound Cycle for their support by supporting me you're supporting the my back 40 podcast (laughs) all right guys i hope to see you in a week ciao